Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Insider. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Rigby. Jonathan is the Director of Technology at Expedia Group. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Hi, good afternoon, Ben. Uh, thanks for having me. Very welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I could try and do you an intro, but I'll never do it justice. Um, could you let the listeners know a little bit about yourself, where you are, and what you're up to right now? Yeah, sure. So, as you said, I work at Expedia. Um, this the sort of travel company. Uh, we're a sort of a global sort of business um, based uh, based out of Seattle, uh, but we've got uh, businesses all ar- all around the world. Um, I've worked there for for nearly four years um, in a sort of management leadership sort of capacity. Uh, before that, various other sort of dev manager type roles. And way back when, when um, a long long time ago, I was a, a software developer. So. Uh, but that's quite a long time ago. I think now I, I sort of sometimes say to, to my team, if they're a bit short on numbers, uh, just give me access to the database. I'll, I'll cut you some code. And they were like, no, 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 <laughs> clear of that. So, but I, I, I do, I can sort of have that conversation with them. No, good. I mean, Expedia, just from my perspective, um, really well-renowned business in the technology. So I've always worked within engineering and um, I think Expedia Group in general and Hotels.com, good reputation for delivering projects the right way and in terms of technology. And, and I know you hire some really, really good guys. Um, so, no, fantastic. Good on you. Um, in terms of – it's a funny one right now, isn't it? I think um, a lot of my clients are beginning to um, kind of move back to the office very slowly and surely, um, not at full capacity, but seem to be giving um, – their engineers or their team um, the option where are you guys at right now yeah I think it's sort of so it varies very much sort of um, uh, office to office and country to country depending on the the sort of local Mm. sort of rules are and what's permitted Um, but there is very much a move to 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 go back to the office um, but within the parameters of what people feel comfortable with so the company have, have sort of come out and sort of said, like a few other sort of tech companies are, you know, that we're opening offices where we can. We think that that's a good thing because we want people to to feel comfortable in going back and able to sort of collaborate. But yeah. there's no like real compunction in that. There's no sort of you're mandated to go back to the office. If you just don't feel comfortable based on your sort of commute or whatever, we're not going to sort of make you. So just sort of talking about the the, the London office, uh, which is where I'm I'm normally based. Uh, that's been open. Um, I think probably it's it's got like a 25% sort of capacity, so you have to sort of sign up, go through yeah. some sort of process, um, and, and people have been sort of back in the office. And I think that that really works for some people. I think uh, depending on your sort of personal situation. Um, so I personally haven't been back in the office yet, but uh, I hope to do so in the near, near future. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um, your collaborations, I think something I picked up that you said then that's the, that's the really key thing. I think um, given companies and, and Expedia groups sound, sound no different, the choice is important. I think um, um, going into that office environment for somebody who's living in a flat in London is, is, is I think I'd probably want to do that if I lived in central London myself. I think where I, I live out in Sussex, I think I probably wouldn't be quite so ready to commute in daily at the moment. But I think it's um, it's interesting with the collaboration. I think that everyone in technology, I've, I've said this on a couple of different pods now, we are set up, we can work from home. 
Um, it took a couple of weeks to adapt, maybe maybe even a month or so, but we managed to work from home. But I think it's that collaboration is key, that problem solving when everyone wants to get in the room and jump on a whiteboard. I think that's the one thing that we miss. Um, yeah. But I think that if, you know, even if, you, if you've got a team of 10 and 25%, at least you've got a couple of people in there, you, at least it's going to help in to some capacity. Um, in terms of Expedia, I hope you don't mind me asking. So obviously, Expedia are known as a, as a travel business, um, you know, and, and, and as someone who's had two, who's supposed to be in Spain twice this month, and I'm not. <laughs> um, how's um, how's business affected? Do you mind me asking? Yeah, um, I mean, I don't think it'll be any sort of surprise uh, to to everybody listening to to know that. Uh, sort of travel has been hit um probably alongside sort of hospitality like what mm. one of the, the the biggest sort of industries to sort of be hit and so we're we've been very much sort of affected uh sort of by that but it's really interesting because as sort of things have evolved and sort of changed over the sort of time that it, uh, lockdown first sort of started and then various again we're a global company so different countries have been at different yeah. stages uh through the time and what we sort of see is that <clears throat> there's a real desire to travel, you know, I mean, people can't, but there are lots of reasons that people want to go and see family or just to sort of get that break from the sort of monotony. And so particularly sort of like here in the UK, when, um, when the restrictions were eased a little bit such that you could go and stay overnight somewhere else, we saw a right dramatic increase in the number of people who were sort of booking sort of cottages, vacation rentals, mm. that type of thing. I certainly did the same. I, I was due to, to go to the US, but the minute that we were able to salvage something from our sort of summer holiday, we went and, and got a cottage down in Newquay and mm. we sort of did that. And, I, you know, that's what happened sort of across the board. So, yeah, international travel is still sort of challenging, I think, um, but, but certainly... Uh, domestically there is that desire to travel and I think you know when this all sort of settles down there will definitely be that desire to sort of get back into sort of traveling so it's almost that itch that we need to sort of scratch absolutely absolutely but do you know what you're uh, it's bad I'm I sound a bit spoiled maybe but when I think of holiday I think of a beach and I think of sunshine and I think of sangria or whatever it might be and I think that you're right this year I was as I've recently went to Wales on a cycling weekend and that was over bank holiday in August. And I think that if I was to get away for a long weekend in on bank holiday, August, it, you know, I don't think the Brecon beacons, no disrespect would have been my first choice in a normal year, but, I, but absolutely, you know, I, I think we use experience to even to book the um, accommodation that we had over that way. So, so I, and I, and I, and I, everybody that I know who would go on holiday every year has gone on some kind of holiday. I think it's, um, I got I got caught in Ibiza in July. Um, I think Boris gave me three hours to get home at one point for um, for the quarantine. But there's um, people seem to have moved. I think that I don't think Portugal's had. I've known so many people go to Portugal in one year, for example, or, or suddenly everyone's gone to Greece. So I, I think everyone's just moving. Everyone there's there's a massive desire to get away, isn't it? So I think that you know your platform is definitely obviously going to keep very very busy. Um, I'm really glad you come on the show. I think um, one thing's that um, I, I see you're you're active on um, on socials, and in that respect, I mean by by blogs and, and by talks and by things like this. And I'm always interested in in speaking to kind of uh, heads of technology and, and, and directors of technology who are um, who are out there giving some kind of thought provoking content to the industry. And that's why I've started this this blog myself, um, this pod myself. Sorry. Um, 
and I see that you've done a you, you've done a fair amount, haven't you? So you've done a few talks, and, you, and you're you're quite you, you've written you've written some really interesting blogs. Um, yeah, well. yeah. So um, so I, I'd sort of um, I suppose I, I, probably a long time ago that people sort of started writing sort of blogs, and I, I was mm. sort of um, not really sort of down in that sort of uh, space. But then I really sort of uh, thought. Um, about what was sort of important and trying to sort of find uh, avenues to sort of get the way in which I sort of feel and particularly in areas of sort of tech management, which is sort of an area of, of that's a sort of passion for me that I've, I've sort of got into more recently because, uh, and I suppose it's, it's, that's been driven from uh, experiences that I've had of working with sort of other sort of tech managers. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite clear that we know that, um, you know, over, well, studies have sort of shown that over 50% of people, um, the reason that they leave uh, their particular current role is often due to the, their sort of management. So there's, there's certainly a lot that needs to be sort of done in that sort of space around sort of education, training managers to be good managers. And I th think particularly in the sort of technology, that's a, that's a key area, because of course, you've got people who've, who've come from a, a sort of a, a, a development or technical sort of background they've had they've maybe spent three years doing a, a computer science degree and then they've been doing lots of sort of on the job sort of learning they get to a certain point and we maybe pivot them in or they choose to pivot into a, a more manager role and all of a sudden they're like sent on their way and sort of said oh well they maybe have a day's sort of management sort of training course and then they're let off to sort of manage a team and so it was out of that sort of experience that I sort of thought well you know I'd love to do more in this space and just not because I think I'm a particular sort of expert but that I've got some sort of ideas that I wanted to sort of share and just open up sort of dialogue in that space mm -hmm. so that you know people can sort of question and sort of challenge ways in which we sort of manage and lead and um, it was out of that that I suppose that I started sort of blogging and then after that the um the opportunity to sort of speak at sort of conferences was something that i was really sort of keen on doing i attended a few sort of conferences and uh maybe it was a bit sort of like blase but you sort of sit in the audience and go oh i could i could do that <laughs> uh, and then and then you sort of you the next stage is you put a sort of call for proposal in and you use you just sort of stick one in not thinking that that will happen and then you get that, <laughs> this message sort of saying we love you to speak and then it suddenly becomes very real um but that whole sort of process was was great and i mm. I, I really sort of enjoyed it uh in terms of not just the actual sort of conference and the presenting but the what you what you get out of it the fact that you then the discussion and dialogue that yeah, I agree. comes from that. We people contact me on linkedin sort of say oh, i saw your talk on on this i'd like to follow up with a sort of few questions a few thoughts mm. and that's just brilliant for just yeah, good. connecting with other people seeing how different people approach the situation yeah i think um yeah great so interesting i've got a few points i was, I was kind of making myself then i think um I, first of all, I, I put out a post on LinkedIn last week regards the background of a CTO. And it's kind of a weird one. There's no right or wrong answer. I, I, I think I always had the opinion that you had to be come from a technical background to be a good CTO. Um, and realistically, you, you, of course, you have to have technical knowledge. But that the argument is that you can come from more of a leadership and a managerial and a kind of project delivery style 
um, path, maybe not with a computer science degree, maybe with an MBA, um, and empowering a, a technical lead to look after your technical stuff. And um, it, it, it's, like I say, I had some great engagement, at some, at some point, some, you know, I think some people probably thought, what is this recruiter on about? Like, you know, how come he's kind of calling out what a CTO should be? These guys have been CTOs for years, but that's fine. I think the whole point is that I'm there to kind of open dialogue and have some discussions because off me putting out a simple post, I actually learned quite a lot. And, and off the back of, you know, it's interesting when talking about pivoting coming from a from an engineering background. So typically, maybe not so much now, but if you come down an engineering route, I, mean, I can use ThoughtWorks, ThoughtWorks as an example. They're not a customer. I was hoping they you know, won't get too much trouble. But they, I used to know lots of guys who are engineers at ThoughtWorks. You, get, you hit a bit of a seeding. And if you want to become, you know, you're very good at your job, but if you want to ultimately earn more money, you know, as, mm. as, as you do throughout your career, you had to kind of go down a managerial route. And it was like, really? I don't want to do that. So they started losing a lot of really good people, which is fine for me because I was snapping up these really good guys and they could go and earn the money being more technical than the, down the managerial route. But I think that it's important to, um, to, that when you, when you want to go down that path that you've got, it's not just an, a business that's kind of open and will take you on training courses. And learn. it's also about your peers and mm. what you can learn from. And that's mm. from talks and the blogs that you do and interaction off the back of LinkedIn it, I think that's key. I think that really works. So one of the things I read, I read that you put out that I really liked the, the thoughts of the, the sound of as well was um, utilizing your team and playing to your team's strengths. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So it's something that I suppose sort of arose from a few sort of rather frustrated sort of annual reviews that I, that I actually received from, um, you know, that classic sort of case of, you sort of sit down at the end of the year and uh, your manager has got various sort of bits of sort of feedback from you and they, they sit and they, they'll, they'll go through that and talk about, you know, ways forward. How can we sort of move on? There's, there's a sort of tra- traditional sort of way of, of, of doing stuff. And in those sort of sessions, I, I often sort of got a, a situation where we would have like, yeah, you know, you've, you've, you've done a, had a good year. You've been working well with your teams. They've really delivered on um, what, what we needed to on the roadmap and et cetera. The team's sort of grown and that's been sort of positive. Um, but, you know, you're, you're, when you sort of send out emails, I've got feedback that, you know, you're not very detailed. Um, you know, people have to sort of come back and ask sort of more questions. So how can we, how can we make you, how can we train you? What can we do to sort of, I suppose, plug that weakness? And we've all got weaknesses. We're, we're, there's all sorts of different areas where, um, depending on your sort of character, personality type, et cetera, that you've got some sort of blind spot or whatever. So that's fine, and, and I've got no objection with that. But what I was, what I was frustrated with was this idea that we were then spending all our time focusing on an area of weakness, which you know, there's sometimes there's good reason why I don't sort of spend sort of time in that is because you know I my personality type is a different way, and I maybe bring something to the table in areas of strength in a different way so I, when I started to sort of conduct my sort of one-to-ones with my team I would be more on that sort of okay well this is the feedback these are your areas of strength how can we really build on that and do more of that mm. and look if there was something that was fundamentally a, a weakness or a development area we would we'd sure need to focus on that if that was something that was stopping you sort of effectively doing your job so for example if there was a um, a manager who had stakeholders and they just were a really poor communicator when obviously we need to sort of like look at that 
But I think it's more engaging, more motivating for people to really fo- instead focus on more on your sort of strengths and how mm. do we sort of play into that. So one of that is just sort of making sure that we know what our strengths are mm. uh, and then sort of trying to work with. So I try and work with a team to sort of say, OK, well, based on the fact that we've got these sort of different strengths, how can we make that work for us as a team? So actually, when you've got a software team, you'll find that people have got strengths in different areas. So why have a rotor uh, to sort of facilitate meetings? This is just an example. Mm. When you've got somebody who just when they chair the meeting, they're just really good at getting the best out of people. They make sure that nobody's sort of forgotten. They they bring a sort of dialogue to a close in the right way uh, taking all those opinions get some good next steps they're just really strong at that and by rotating it around the team just you know you'll get some people who are not so strong at that inevitably mm. um, and so are you doing the team a disservice are you making poorer decisions as a team because you're trying to do this thing where well i need to Tom needs some help sort of facilitating meetings because he's had that feedback. I'm going to give him that opportunity, let him go away and sort of do it. Yeah, that's okay. But are we, are we not getting the best from the team by doing that? And I think that's where I was sort of coming from. And I, I I think that there's, there's something there. And I think, you know, my, my perception is that people, Obviously, if there's an area of strength, they want to, to do more of it. They want to sort of demonstrate it. So it's just trying to tap into that idea. So would you say that that's more from a, from a softer point of view then? The reason what I mean by that is a, a lot of companies now, and I'm pretty sure it's you do that, you know, have cross-functional teams and, you know, you don't suddenly become an engineer who's got the DevOps and the testing and, you know, you come from one particular background and, and typically working in a team, um, You'll, you'll learn from pairing or whatever it might be, and then you'll improve your kind of technical skills. It's not necessarily saying a weakness, but you're improving your kind of technical knowledge. Are you saying? Are you saying that it's because the, the, this you play into your strengths more on the lines of kind of like the soft thing, like you're, you're better at mentoring, you're yeah. better at kind of like organising this and organising. Do you know? Is that again? I, I always try not to sound stupid when I ask these questions, but do you, do you understand what I mean? No, I get what you're driving at, and I think it's a really good question because, uh, uh, you know, am I sort of saying therefore? you have the guy who's really strong at DevOps um, just doing the, the DevOps bit for the team and the, the guy who's really strong at architecting doing that mm. part of it. And no, I think it, you're right. I think it is more on the sort of soft skills in terms of what we bring to the sort of team to help it work together well. I think, yeah, you don't want to get down that road, uh, particularly in terms of sort of technical sort of challenges because otherwise then you've just got one person who can sort out that particular problem and we want to sort of get away from that so yeah good, good point of clarification yeah no sure um in terms of the other stuff have you got um is there other stuff that you've got in the pipeline then because i'm always interested in, in hearing what you're saying and, and what you're talking about yeah so i think in terms of um you know some of the stuff that we're we're, we're sort of thinking of i've, I've got a a conference that I'm speaking on in a, in a month's time and we're, we're focusing a little bit on the topic is sort of what do we do about the, the skills shortage in sort of technology um, a very sort of uh, popular sort of topic and it's something that always everybody wants to to come across and you as a sort of a recruiter and, yeah. and me as a sort of leader in technology have come across this challenge I, I only know, have this challenge about this conversation about 10 times a day to be fair so that's fine <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so something. So, so that's that's what I'm sort of like uh, thinking about, and you know, got a sort of a few ideas. And one one thing that I think is, you know, a lot's been sort of said about apprenticeships, and I think great stuff that, that goes on there. We have something at Expedia called a Code Academy, where we open it up. Uh, I know you said that you're learning sort of Python. So what we do is we have anybody in the business, you might be in a finance team, you might be uh, in HR, you can come along and you can sort of like learn some different sort of coding sort of skills. But if you are maybe, you know, if that goes well and you're really engaged in it, pivoting down the yeah. sort of engineering route. So we do do a lot of stuff to try internally to try and sort of do that. I think um, just sort of interestingly out there in the sort of marketplace, I think that there's, there's obviously, there's always this sort of crunch on, on skills. And I think what the solution might be is going to be a blended approach of all these sort of different things. But I think um, one of the things that we did was we read a book called um, as part of a book club that we did um, called the techie and the fuzzy and it was about trying to sort of like solve this sort of challenge whereby you've got people who come from a, a sort of technical background and then you've got all the people who are uh, who did like arts degrees and stuff like that. And actually there's this really big divide going forward and we're going to need even more sort of tech focused jobs and how we're going to sort of mm. solve this. And I think the author made a really sort of good point about um, the, what, what, what are going to be the technical challenges in the future. Um, and they're not going to be maybe just fully the, the pure technical um, challenges that we've had in the past. I think with AI and machine learning and, and that type of thing, we've got challenges around, um, and we, we sort of saw it ironically, my son um, is, did, did, did one of his GCSEs uh, this summer. And of course, people were talking about, if you followed that sort of story about the algorithm that was there to sort of predict the grades for, for sort of children. And, and so people just were talking about this sort of algorithm and, and, and we can sort of say, okay, well, that, it, it just made it sound like it was some sort of, sort of computer generated thing that there was no sort of real input. Uh, and what the author of this particular book was saying that actually in the future, we're going to need people from all sorts of different sort of areas, including those sort of what we wouldn't have considered as a sort of tech role in the past. So people who've got philosophy degrees, are people who've Very got, true. you know, language uh, as a sort of degree. Mm. Uh, so I think that we will solve that sort of skill shortage in part by the fact that we will sort of diversify in the types of people that we, we bring into sort of technology. And it won't be that traditional, you've got to have a degree in computer science, which, which actually makes me wince every time I sort of see that on a, on a job advert, because some of my strongest developers that I've sort of have, have oh. come from all sorts of different backgrounds and certainly not necessarily computer science. One of my old customers, I used, they used to like be so particular about having a degree and these guys would, that wouldn't, I wasn't able to put forward would just go on and I just saw their careers escalate and just think, what are you guys doing? To be fair, this is probably like, you know, 10, <clears throat> 10 or so years ago. I think that, I think the mindset, is definitely changing it's really interesting honestly I'm, I'm absolutely loving hearing what you um what you're saying there because i think that you're absolutely right i think that it's, it's quite generational i think that we you know young the younger generation seem to be more interested in technology and i think that there's so many different angles within technology so i think that you know they need a lot of support from the governments and as much kind of help from guys like yourself and hopefully myself in terms of putting information and content out there because there's just it, it's massive and i think that you know 
bar the Silicon Valley, the UK has more startups, you know, interesting, cool, sexy startups for people to get involved in. Um, so no, it's, it, I really, really enjoyed the, um, uh, the conversation. Thank you very much for your time. Um, you you spoke a little bit about um, people reaching out to you on LinkedIn um, previously with, with the hesitation that suddenly you're being inundated. Are you open to people dropping a message and answering these questions? Yeah, because as I said before, you know, one of the one of the key things for me is to be able to have that sort of discretion. I've got some some ideas about how things do from, you know, situations around OKRs or even sort of software estimation. And I put those things down on on sort of paper. But uh, the, the, the really valuable thing and the thing sort of speaking at conferences is having been able to have that sort of discussion with people who are also trying to wrestle with these same sort of sort of topics yeah. and um and so, yeah, really welcome uh, anybody reaching out uh, on, on LinkedIn. I've got a few articles there. It's a good starting point. So, I think uh, I think I'm looking forward to you know getting back to normality. And I think that off the back of ultimately the network that I've created doing the Insider podcast, I think we'll we we'll have to have a meet up. I think we're going to have to do one of your talks. <laughs> we'll get some beers and pizzas in and all that jazz and i think it'll be quite good because i think that's the whole what i've learned is um you know technical leaders coming together and and and, and having opinions i think it's important and um and have which because that ultimately will um you know manifest in in, in new ideas and, and stuff just not from a technology point of view but from a, a thought leadership point of view so really appreciate your time thank you very much for coming on the show and uh yeah look forward to speaking to you soon yeah thanks a lot Ben. it's been great all the best. Cheers.